Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm so glad that you're back for the second part of a really fun conversation with Jeremy Hickel from Waco, Texas. And Jeremy and I have been talking about this phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 called redeeming the time. Now we talked last week about how redeeming means to buy back. And so this concept of we are purchasing back our time, we're being intentional with it so that we can glorify God, we can imitate Christ, knowing that the days are evil and that the devil is working against us actively to make our time just slip away into a meaningless life without a lot to show for it. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump back into that conversation. I'm going to take just a couple minutes in that to review what we talked about last week, and then we'll continue on with some new teaching. Let's get back into it, shall we? I want to remind us what we've heard so far, right? So we've been introduced to this concept of redeeming or buying back time. Uh, One of the ways that we do that is first, we're going to make time for God. We're going to devote Uh, habits of interaction through reading, through prayer, interacting with God in such a way that um, we're we're making him the priority. Second, which is what we've just been talking about, uh, we're going to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Not only does that promote honesty, but it promotes, in a study on redeeming the time, intentionality. And we can be intentional with our yeses and with our nos. So uh, you have a point this, this third big concept that for the culture that we live in, um, it may seem just absurd. But w- when you say that in order for us to redeem the time, we're supposed to engage in rest, it almost seems counterintuitive, right? I thought I was supposed to make use of my time, and now here you are telling me to take time off. Uh, what does that have got, what does that have to do with this? And help us understand why engaging in rest is redeeming the time. Yeah, well, I, and we talked about it a little bit before, right? We live in a, hus- a hustle culture. I mean, our our common vernacular has phrases like burn the midnight oil or you can sleep when you're dead. Oh, man, I've and, heard that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of times we treat our bodies like they're machines, but yeah, the reality is they're not. You know, we're not designed to be running all the time. Mm-hmm. Human, we're finite. We wear out. And so, you know, good quality rest is essential for our long-term health. And, you know, without that, we become overstressed, overtired, overworked. And when that happens, you know, a lot of, a lot of snowballing effect happens in our lives. Our decision-making suffers, the ability to manage our day suffers, our health suffers. Right. Uh, so, you know, Jesus, if you, you look into the gospels, Jesus actually does set aside time for the apostles to engage, to engage and rest. I love this verse. Uh, you know, we keep going back to Mark, which I'm thankful for personally because of the Bible reading that we're we're in as a family. It's coming alive to me because now I get to engage with you in it uh, in conversation. But yeah, this this scripture in Mark six about what you call restorative breaks. Uh, tell us about what he and his disciples did and and, and this scripture here. Why it matters. Right. Yeah. So in Mark 6 and verse 30 and 32, the Bible says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for 
There were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And so they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. This was actually right after Jesus had sent out the disciples two by two. And then they came back to him. They had been on the road for a while. They'd been hard at work. And Jesus pulled his disciples aside for rest. And, you know, what that says to me is that Jesus was willing to stop to take a moment, to take a breather, to kind of put it all aside and take a break. And no one's mission was more important. And really what that tells me is that we should do the same thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should do the same thing yeah. too. Now, you've got a, a pretty interesting set of statistics about Americans taking vacation. Now, uh, I don't know if if Jesus and the disciples getting in the boat for a pleasure cruise is considered a vacation, but I do like the thought of uh, it seems like people are are becoming more aware. What what does this data tell us? Yeah, there were a couple of a couple of articles that just tell us our culture's attitude on taking time away from work. You know, a lot of times we're so self-important and we think everything depends on us and we put ourselves in a position to think that if I step away from my job for a day, for a week, you know, the company's just going to burn to the ground. Things are going to be, things are going to go haywire. They're going to go right. sideways. And and that impacts the way that we take our vacation. You know, there was a 2017 article that said 54% of Americans don't take all their vacation time each year. I could raise my hand to that. I'm, I'm guilty <laughs> of that. In 2022, there was an article that did state that 57% of Americans have taken vacation of at least a week or more, and that was up from 44% the year before. And so that's a that's a good trend to see that that people. It does seem like people are starting to wise up to that a little bit more, especially with all the events that we had with with COVID and 2020 and all of those things. Um, 74% of people say that they consider a vacation important, but you know, really the point of all of that is that we don't really step aside to take the rest that we need, although it, it seems like our culture's heading in the right direction on that. Yeah, one. well, it, I like the point that you, you kind of transition um, because not everybody might be able to take a vacation per se, you know, the, the getaway, right. uh, get the family in the car, go see the Grand Canyon, whatever. Sure. Not, not everybody's able to do that, but... Um, everybody is able to rest. And in the same way that Jesus made time for, uh, or he told his disciples to get come aside and uh, rest a while, to get away from the hustle of their uh, ministry that they were in. He also, even in some pretty odd places, made time <laughs> for rest. Tell us about the time that he was sleeping on a pillow when nobody else was. Well, it was after a busy day of, of preaching, right? And in Mark 4, verse 38 through 39, you know, the Bible records that Jesus was on a ship with his disciples. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And the Bible <laughs> says they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The storm had arisen up. And uh, what does Jesus do? He wakes up. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if he's groggy or not, but the Bible says he arose. He rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. So, yeah, he had had a long day. He had worked. He had been preaching. And when he laid down, he laid down to rest. 
um, I know you're a fan of the the chosen too, Jonathan. And I, I can't oh, yeah. recall. There's that season there. There's a, a scene in the first season where Jesus had been healing people all day. And, you know, he's not really in the episode that much, but at the end of the episode, if I recall correctly, it just shows Jesus walking into the camp. He's breathing heavily. He'd been doing a lot of hard work. And what does he do? He goes to his tent, he lays down and immediately it's lights out. And that's exactly what, (laughs) that's what I, what I picture when I read this scene uh, in Mark of him getting on the boat is he's had a long day and he knows he needs his rest. And so he goes and he does it. You had some information about rest and how um, a lot of people aren't getting it and how important rest is to us. There's a lot of information out there about, um, I guess, these holistic health markers, sleep being one of them. I wanted to share with you and our listeners, just uh, taking it to maybe another level, um, because I'm looking at some information you have here that says routine routinely sleeping less than six or seven hours a night demolishes your immune system. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so in my work as a therapist, um, whenever I meet with clients the, in the first session, we go through like a family of origin exercise called a genogram. And so I'm going to mm-hmm. like outline kind of where you come from, who your people are. And another thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do something called a mood and mental health markers. And so I've got these six mood and mental health markers that I ask about. And wouldn't you know, the first one is your sleep. Like, I want to know um, what are my clients sleeping habits? Because if you come into my office and you're in the presenting problem is that you, maybe you and your spouse are, are, are fighting all the time. You can't seem to communicate well and uh, you're just always under each other's skin. And then I ask you about your sleeping habits. And you say, oh, well, we stay up till 2 a.m. binge watching Netflix, and then we got to get up at 6 to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to say, okay, yeah. well, that may not be the, uh, the the key issue, but I can guarantee you that your lack of sleep is contributing to the presenting problem that you just discussed. So the idea that sleep, and then I also ask people about, are they getting enough sunlight, movement, nutrition, social yeah. connection, and stress? But sleep is so important. And uh, so I, I needed to throw that out there. I feel That's like, um, you know, what we're talking about with Jesus yeah. in this section, we've got the idea of getting away. So uh, mm-hmm. learning to turn your phone off, not being tied to the office all the time, but also learning to uh, get the appropriate rest you need. It really leads into this next point. And, and I'd love for you to, to be able to kind of uh, give our listeners a, a nice understanding of what does it mean to be present? How is that redeeming the time? Yeah, well, you know, when, when we talk about being present, and I think that's a that's a phrase that gets gets thrown out quite a bit, but it's helpful to define what it means. And and by being present, I mean that that Christ was focused and he was in the moment with whatever it was that he happened to be engaged with at the time, right? Whether it was preaching to a crowd whether it was being with his disciples, whether it was spending time with his family, wherever he was, he was fully engaged in the moment in what he was doing, right? Again, just to go back, when he became a man, he entered time, he confined mm-hmm. himself to one place. And, and that means that Jesus was not omnipresent anymore, right? He, he wasn't everywhere. He was confined 
within his body to one place, just like us, right? Just like you. We are where we are. I'm at my house. You're at your house. We're not anywhere else. Right. And so when Jesus became flesh, uh, he was he was he was where he was. And his ability to be in the moment, his ability to stay focused, it was vital to his mission, right? And, and just like us, he he faced distractions constantly, right? We talked about you talk about Mark five and verse twenty seven through thirty, right? He's on his way to heal the young girl, and a woman reaches out, touches his cloak, and he becomes aware that he had healed her. Yeah, who touched Luke, me? Don't <laughs> who touched me. Uh, in Luke 5, verse 17 through 19, he's preaching. I mentioned this before. A man's lowered through the roof. Right. In Luke 12, he's interrupted uh, in his preaching by a question of a man about his inheritance, right? And so Jesus had a lot of distractions. He had a lot of things vying for his attention, just like we do. And sometimes he welcomed these distractions. He was able to lean into them. He was remarkably compassionate, and he could actually use them as a springboard to further his message and to further his mission. But there were other times when he sought to eliminate those distractions in an effort to really focus on what's important in that day and time. Yeah, tell us about uh, Matthew 12, because this this is a great example of a time when he has to kind of get something out of the way so that he can be present in his ministry. Yeah, absolutely. In Matthew 12 and verses 46 through 50, he's he's there, he's working, right? He's preaching. And the Bible says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then he then one said to him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who had told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so Jesus is there. He's working. He's preaching. And he's teaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, his family shows up, right? And you can imagine them just starting to crowd uh, into the back of the crowds and maybe trying to push their way through and saying, you know, where's family? This is Jesus. I'm his mother. We're his brothers. And someone speaks up and says, your, your mother and brothers are here. Right. And they want to see him. And so what does Jesus do in that moment? Does he say, okay, guys, sorry. You know, my family's here. I've got to stop. I'm going to break down. <laughs> go visit with them. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't end his sermon so that he can go speak with them. In the moment, he's at work. And there's an opportunity there to do what he came to the world to do. The crowd was there. He had a job. He was present. He was focused in the task at hand. And I really like what Matthew Henry says about this passage right there here. Matthew Henry says, Christ was so intent on his work that no other, that no natural or other duty took him from it, right? He just he just shuts down this distraction, and rather than allowing this interruption to derail him, he uses their present as an opportunity to, again, lean into his work to teach others about the importance of the spiritual family. Jesus was preaching. He wasn't going to let anybody get in the way of that, not even his mother and his brothers. That's a tough one for me to hear only because um, I have a very strong allegiance to my my people, right? To Marissa and the kids, to my mom and dad. 
and uh, you know my family means a lot so this concept is challenging for me to hear um and i know that uh you know in other scriptures jesus says those that love anyone more than me is not worthy of me and the idea is is Mm -hmm. put god first and and then you'll learn to love others in the best way possible um but i I like that uh in the study that you have you have this one side of jesus where he's completely present in being the truly the light of the world right the light and the salt as he calls us to be salt and light but you also share another account and I'm curious if you could maybe briefly take us through it, but there's a time when he's with family friends and he's, he's fully focused on them and he's present with them and, and not with what's going on in, I guess, around them. So it's like, it's like the opposite or the inverse of it, but both of them are, are consistent with his character being present. Tell us about that one. Yeah, absolutely. I, so yeah, it was time for him to work. It's not that his family wasn't important with him, but Jesus seems to have operated by the principle of, you know, when you're at work, you work. And when it's time to, when it's time to be with others, you know, you can, you can be with others. I think Teddy Roosevelt put it this way (laughs) when he was president, he said, work when you work and play when you play, right? You have these designated hard boundaries. And I think we see that here in Jesus's life, because conversely, when Jesus was with his family, and when he was with his friends, he was fully focused on them. You can look at, at Mark 9. It was at the end of a hard day's work with the disciples. In verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. And so again, this was at the close of the day and Jesus was making an effort to break away from those crowds that he was preaching to much like the one that he, you know, preached through his family showing up with. And Mark says that Jesus didn't want anyone to know because he wanted to spend time with those that he was closest with. He wanted to spend time with the disciples and focus on them and their training and that relationship. It was important to him that he spend time exclusively with them. He he had such a remarkable ability to be present and in the moment with those that he was with and to focus on one thing at a time. And we see that in both sides. Again, work when you work and play when you play. There's time for you to do your work and there's time for you to do their family. And if Jesus shows us that, then we certainly should be allowing for that in our lives as well. Just like with rest, just like yeah. with sleep. Yeah, I love it. Right. Uh, I think it's really, this has been a very encouraging conversation for me to participate in. I hope our listeners uh, are able to process some of these things as well. Let me review it just so that they can kind of chew on it. And um, then we'll move into the, the last of these five big concepts for redeeming the time. So we spent some time talking about taking time to be with God, being in his word, praying, drawing near to him. Second was a very, I, I thought a very real and tangible, like something to start right now, which is let Absolutely. your yes be yes, let your no be no, learning to recognize your commitments and set boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. The third one was engaging being intentional about rest, 
and uh, both in sleep and then in, in just time away, which, man, it's really easy to get sucked into work for me. Absolutely. And, and I know that for others as well, we feel like there's just that one more thing I can get it done and then I'll be mm-hmm. caught up. And yet we're always in the grind. And then we just got done talking about being present and making sure that whatever part of, of whether it be work or school or family time or whatever, that we're, we're in the moment. You know, what I'm hearing is in a lot of these, Jeremy, um, maybe I need to throw my cell phone in the trash can. <laughs> it seems like this little, I know it has so much good and I, I go back and forth. There are times when I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to just, I'm going back to before I had a cell phone. And then there's other times where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I had it with me because I needed directions to this place and I wouldn't know how to get there. Um, but this last one, I'm feeling it kind of acutely as I look at my iPhone and wonder with, you know, sadness if I'll ever get rid of it. And <laughs> the, the final point that you make in redeeming the time is stepping back from the noise. Uh, so if I've if I've taken time with God and I've let my yes be yes and I've decided to engage in rest and be present with people, where does uh, stepping back from the noise fit into these other four? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I can commiserate with you about the, <laughs> should I throw it away? Should I not throw it away? It can be such a double-edged sword, but it can be such a powerful tool. But reality, the reality is, right, that our lives are are just so full of, full of noise. Yeah. And, you know, we've got, again, phones buzzing, email boxes chiming, notifications being pushed to us. I don't know if you have a smartwatch or not. I happen to have one that tracks my my heartbeat and my steps. And every time there's a notification, my my wrist gets a little little buzz. So there's, you know, always something pulling at our attention, always something trying to distract us from the task, whatever it is, pulling us away from being in the moment. And what we see when we look at Jesus is that, Jesus often sought to step back from the noise of the world in his day, right? And we should too. We we live in a world of noise. And by noise, I'm talking about those things that really seek to distract us from God and his word, which really nourishes us. We're bombarded by news. We're bombarded by entertainment, you know, 24-7. It's coming at us. Our TVs blare, our phones buzz, our inboxes chime. And, you know, people say we live in the age of information. I think we live in the age of distraction and attention. Attention's our commodity to a lot of businesses. And the world's always been busy. There's always been a lot going on, even in Jesus's day when he sought to step aside from it. But we've turned up the volume (laughs) in our day and age. There was a, a stat that a, a writer, his name was, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Daniel Levitin. And sure. he wrote a book called The Organized Mind. And he mentions a study that was done in 2011. So this is, you know, about 13 years ago still. But in 2011, it was found that Americans took in five times as much information a day as they did in 1986. And he tries to equate that in newspapers, which I think is kind of funny. (laughs) Are those still around? Do they still exist? It it equates to about 175 newspapers 
wow. a day that we are taking in in information. And then if you if you add to that our screen time and our television for our society and our culture, the average American watches about five hours of TV every day. And, and you know, he translates that into the gigabytes. It contributes to another 24 gigabytes of audiovisual data that we process. And, you know, I'm not a real technician. I couldn't tell you how much data that really is. But five hours is a lot of time. It's a lot of information. Right. And I right. think that increase in noise really has a profound impact on us. Well, I mean, you've got more information here, but I'm just thinking about what it, uh, I know that's what we're consuming, but I'm, I mean, I'm just the inverse. What am I losing whenever mm -hmm. I take all of this in? Right. And I, I go through phases, um, ups and downs with my consumption. And sometimes you don't even know how much it's affecting you mm -hmm. until you've reached this point where you're just like, why am I so uh, low? Why am I so agitated? Why am I so like, uh, I just seem like I'm, I'm, I'm very chippy in, in some of my relationships. I'm, I'm my, I'm very short and I, I don't have a lot of patience. Some of that, I know that th this isn't necessarily uh, the, the causation of it, but there, there seems to be a lot of correlation between, I'm overstimulated in all the media that I'm taking in. And that overstimulation is robbing me of some simple pleasures that I think the Lord designed us for. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I guess you've got a scripture here that um, I think our listeners are probably familiar with. You know, I, I assume <laughs> that the people that listen to PSB are either Christians or are Bible believers or Bible um, familiarites. I don't, that's kind of an awkward way to frame, frame it, but I've never called anybody a Bible familiarite. Anyway, uh, I assume that most people are familiar with Philippians 4, but I still think it'd be a good idea to hear it from you and, and to hear your thoughts on it in, in a specific conversation about uh, unplugging from the noise. Yeah, absolutely. In, in Philippians 4, such a, such a good verse, verses 6 through 8, you know, Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at examples of Jesus, right? As, as, as the crowds were increasing around him, what he did was he would depart to a solitary place. And, and we see that multiple times. And I, he did that, I think, to be able to meditate on these types of things. If I put myself, you know, just think about myself and what I've consumed over the past week, how many of, how much of that really fits into Paul's description here, right? I think a lot of times if we're honest with ourselves, most of what we allow ourselves to be bombarded with are not this are not true, are not pure, are not noble, definitely not of good reports. Because I think a lot of us get anxious for everything 
instead of anxious for nothing, you get too caught up to pray. I've been there. I've been found myself in that situation before. And we allow ourselves to be bombarded by things that are most certainly not true, noble, just, pure, or lovely. And, and you know, if we're not careful, it's kind of just like a diet, right? What we end up consuming ends up consuming us. And it's not always just information overload. It's also information distortion. You know, small tweaks here and there to things that are supposed to be good or, you know, culture telling us things that are right and things that are correct. You just change things a little over time. They can be very dangerous for us, right? What did, what did Satan do as a, as a serpent in the garden, of, uh, the garden of Eden, right? He just changed one word of God's word. Ooh, I yeah, love it was that. enough for Adam and Eve to fall into temptation. And of course, we have the fallout from that, you know, and, and death and uh, all of those things. And so it just changed one word. And so it's the information distortion. When we unplug from the word of God and we plug into the, the cultural noise, you know, yeah. it's those small distortions over time that can ha- have, have a major impact. And the scripture tells us to test ideas. It tells us to weigh them. Oh, I love this. I love that that uh, you're making a point that consuming worldly content, if we're not careful, uh, it's as simple as adding one word to the word of God, and that content can suddenly distort the entire message if we're not careful. And I mean, we have organizations out there that are not just subtly, but are overtly wanting right. to change the message that God's mm-hmm. people are hearing. So what should we expect whenever uh, we're consuming tons of media from companies like that? Not to go, I don't want to go conspiratorial uh, <laughs> on us or anything, oh, but absolutely. yeah, they're, 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 everybody's got a narrative or an agenda. It's a lot of times it's just about making money, but even in the making money sure. of things, it loses the spirit of anything wholesome and good because they're just selling for the sake of getting us to, you know, to the to the the cheapest, most base human experience. So I'm with you a hundred percent. You you have a yet another verse, Luke five, as you're kind of calling us back to what Jesus was doing. Um, how did Jesus handle whenever he had times where it would be easy to get distracted and and be maybe overwhelmed by all the noise? Yeah, Luke five verse sixteen, very simple. Very to the point, it says, so he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed again. You know, this this goes hand in hand with our, you know, ability to be present, to be focused on the things that are most important. It, it also goes back to, you know, that big keystone habit of making time for God, of unplugging from the noise and the distractions and the, you know, the shiny objects that sometimes get us, <laughs> get us distracted. I don't know if you've ever watched a child <laughs> looking at the TV and tried talking to them. You have three kids. I know you've done this before. Dude, and I it's like, like this. yeah, just talk to my wife who's like, I can't talk. When we go to a restaurant, I have to make sure I'm not facing the television. Otherwise <laughs> it ends up that Marissa is very lonely while I'm watching the stupidest thing because I don't even want to watch it, but I can't help myself. Yeah. It's the lights on. Nobody's home. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been there too. I've been subject to that. Uh, And you know, the point is that when you step away, when Jesus stepped aside, when he withdrew from the world, when he withdrew from the noise, it was with the intention 
that he was going to plug into God. So he's unplugging from the noise. That's important. But it's also important to circle back to that first point. It's important that he's plugging into God, right? He's plugging in. He's getting his bearings. He's fellowshipping with him. And and that's really that's really what we need to be more mindful and more intentional of. If we want to start taking taking control over, you know, the the busyness that we feel in our lives, we have to recognize that we have a choice. We can turn off the news. We can close the browser. We can shut off the TV. You know, maybe get outside and take a walk. We talked about, you know, are you getting any sunlight in your evaluation with your with your clients? You play games with your family, you know? When it's time to play, it's time to play. You open yeah. up the word. But turn okay. down the noise of the world. And when we do that, we can turn up our opportunity to be the light, the, the light that Christ calls us to be. I love it. Absolutely love it. Good stuff. Um, I like to give my guests a final word. So here we are at the end. You know, we've talked about five big ways that we can redeem the time. Hopefully people are able to um, take this, conceptualize it, kind of use these points um, in a very real way. Uh, if, if maybe we missed something or if you wanted to summarize or whatever it may be, what would be the, the, the final message you'd like for our listeners to hear? I think it just go back to Ephesians 5, where Paul tells us to redeem the time. And, and when I read that verse, and then I, you know, think about what that means to buy it back, to use it well, to guard it, guard it wisely. You know, and then I turn around and I look at the life of Jesus. It, it's another lens through which to look at his life that's been so, so helpful for me, right? And I think Paul was very close to that. And, and he was someone who also used his time well. Again, I'd mentioned this before, but he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's what our goal is really to do here as we, you know, go on this marathon of living the Christian life. I'm truly convinced if we follow the example of Jesus, who really used his time better than anyone, we will be able to redeem the time. We will be able to make an impact in the church. We'll be able to make an impact in our family at our jobs and schools, wherever life happens to find us. You know, it's important. Why? Because Paul, again, tells us the evil one is always at work and always threatening to drown us in the busyness of our day-to-day. It's possible that we get so busy that we don't stop to take a look at where we are spiritually. But by looking at Jesus, we can redeem the time and helping us to be light and salt, as we've been talking about here mm. this evening. That's what the study's been about. It's been a real help for me, and you know, I hope it is for the listeners as well. I really appreciate the opportunity, Jonathan, to be able to be on and to talk about these things. Well, it, the pleasure's all mine. I'm so thankful uh, that you were here, and uh, I look forward to more times for us to interact in the future. Absolutely. I'm so thankful for Jeremy and him carving out some time to talk with me about this Bible study topic of redeeming the time for the days are evil from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Great scripture, great conversation, and I hope, dear friend, that you are encouraged by it as well. And I want you to know something as we wrap this up. The purpose of these conversations is not just to shame you and make you feel guilty because you're doing something wrong. If that happens, if you did feel shamed or guilty because you were doing something wrong, 
well, that's good too. Uh, I want you to feel that so that you can change. But but we don't want to leave you with just a feeling of guilt and shame. It's intended to be a proactive program where you listen to these and then you leave them feeling more motivated to say, you know what, I do need to, for example, I do need to redeem the time. I need to get my life in a better order. I got to get my uh, spiritual works that I do. Maybe it's Bible reading or prayer time or fellowship or studying with others or ministering to the poor or praying actively for the sick, uh, visiting the elderly, whatever it may be. We want you to feel motivated to redeem the time and not just look at your own life and say, well, this has just been a, a bunch of waste. No, no, no. Come on. You can do it. And I want to give you that final encouragement. You can do it. You can redeem the time. And I want you to get into the scriptures. I want you to pray more consistently. I want you to spend time with believers and in doing these basic things, it's going to charge your batteries to help you redeem the time. There you go. There's your second sermon, as we sometimes say at Valley Parkway, whenever whoever has the closing announcements will get up and admonish the crowd for another two or three minutes and call it the second sermon. So uh, I'm going to give you the same things I do every week, and I hope you'll listen. Although sometimes whenever I listen to podcasts, I usually stop as they give their closing thoughts. But hey, you're better than me, right? So stay with me for about 30 more seconds. Number one, please pray for this avenue, that it will be helpful to the Lord. It will glorify his name. The church will be edified and the lost will hear the gospel. That's what I hope can happen in this uh, work that I'm doing. Number two, pray that I can have the uh, fortitude to keep going. Sometimes I have highs and lows. And it's challenging whenever I'm in those lows to keep going. So please pray that the Lord will give me strength. Number three, if you'd like to join me at patreon.com backslash pure and simple Bible, if you want to encourage this work financially so that uh, I can upgrade the program, I can upgrade the equipment that makes this program work well, um, then please head over there and check it out. I'll try to put this stuff in the show notes. And of course, always go to pureandsimplebible.com where you can check out uh, study books and other resources that are downloadable absolutely free as a PDF. So check it out. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.